injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Let us pick up our books and our pens. They are our most powerful weapons. Welcome to Talking Social Studies. You're listening to episode 43, Civics in the Middle with Mary Ellen Daniels for April 7th, 2020. This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you will find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teachers in their work with students. One child, one teacher, and one pen can change the world. Today we're lucky because it, uh, it isn't the normal group of four of us here. Um, Amy is off doing Amy things. Um, and instead, we, uh, we've asked a, a friend of ours, um, Mary Ellen Daniels, um, who is a, well, actually, Mary Ellen, why don't you actually introduce yourself? I don't need to introduce you. Oh, sure. Uh, so my name is Mary Ellen Daniels, and after 27 years in the classroom at West Chicago Community High School, um, I've been on a leave of absence the last three years to do professional development around the state of Illinois and other parts of the nation around civics. And... C3 inquiry um, leading to informed action. So that's a little bit of my story. So I, I'm lucky enough that I teach in the same county that uh, Mary Ellen has taught in for all those years. And so um, over the last couple of years, there's always a big countywide institute day. And anytime that I see her name on a session, I always am, uh, am, am in a rush to go ahead and sign up for that one. Um, so I've been lucky enough to, to get to, to hear Mary Ellen you know, present a, a couple different times now. Um, but you know, your big focus here is on civics. So why don't, um, why don't you, I guess I'll start off with this. Like I think in social studies, I always used to think being a geography teacher, that geography was the social science that got neglected. But, um, as I'm starting to like, you know, take a look at things from a more objective point of view, maybe it's civics that's not always getting the attention it deserves. So like, why do we need civics so much in all social studies classes? Sure. So, you know, if you think about the original intent of public schools, it really had a civic mission. It was this idea that, you know, the United States was founded on this idea of we the people and these certain civic virtues and that public education had a role in helping educate our students for um, civic participation. And I think, unfortunately, with um, no Child Left Behind and um, ESSA and some of these other initiatives, um, an unintended consequence of focusing on STEM and ELA and the Common Core has been the marginalization of social studies. And I know in my neck of the woods, if students, especially in K through eight, need remediation in English language arts, science, or math, what are they pulled out of? They're pulled out of the social studies. And I think no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, uh, the election of 2016 was really a wake-up moment for many of us. Um, a lot of people call it the Sputnik moment of civic education, where people sort of looked at the quality of civic knowledge and the quality of conversation that we were having as a society and said, you know what, it's time for civics to come back. Um, when I do workshops, I often make an analogy for teachers or other stakeholders, where I sort of like civic education to driver's education. And I'll ask participants, you know, how many of them have high schoolers? And then I'll ask them how many of them were high schoolers? And 
then based on that experience, I will ask them how many of them think it's a good idea to give a high school student a driver's license simply for passing the rules of the road test. I'll give you guys individual think time as well to kind of think that through. It's, it's looking bad. I, I'm seeing people, I'm seeing both Chris's shake their heads that this is a bad idea. I think that's because yeah, we I, both have kids that are like, yeah, yeah. ready to drive. Right. Yes. right. Yeah, my, Worst my, idea my, since Clear Pepsi. Right? <laughs> Do you remember Clear Pepsi? Looked like 7-Up, tasted like Pepsi. was a bad idea. Worst idea since Clear Pepsi, right? <laughs> so it's a bad idea. But yet, somehow we have this idea that our students are prepared for civic life simply by passing a constitution test or a citizenship test. No, I mean, it, it's crazy. And why aren't students prepared to drive a car simply for passing the rules of the road test? Scott, what do you think? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about my infant over here. And he's not on the rules of the road, but I see, you know, the freedom he has is he just grabs his hammer and just thinks, oh, I can just pound on anything I want, right? With no, and all of a sudden I'm like, no, no, not my computer screen, right? I'm just trying to make this apply down with, with my little... Yeah, yeah. I mean, civic participation or driving a car for that matter isn't just the rules of the road or that knowledge. It's the skills and dispositions as well that students need, young people need to get behind the wheel, right? That's why Sheldon Cooper took so long to get his driver's license. He had the knowledge, but he didn't have the skills or dispositions. Little right. Big Bang Theory reference for those of you nice. at home. Um, likewise, civic engagement isn't just content knowledge, it's those skills and dispositions. So I think there's a reawakening of civics. Um, to quote Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, civics isn't something that's, you know, passed down in the gene pool. It has to be learned and practiced by each new generation. And I think people are waking up to the importance of civics um, across the disciplines. And really, all of us are civics teachers, whether you teach geography or history or even language arts or dance. We all send implicit messages to our kids about things like power, justice, identity, empathy, responsibility, by the way we run our classrooms, by the quality of conversations we support and foster. Um, by the way we address our own implicit biases with students. So I think people are sort of waking up to this reality that we're all civics teachers and re sort of invigorating the civic mission of schools. You know, and I'm right there with you. I think the, the engagement piece, I think, is a big shift where, where we're starting to lose a lot of students in terms of people thinking that, you know, my civic responsibility is, well, I, I can go out and I can vote, but there's so much more in terms of those calls to action and the little things that people can do. I mean, I can tell you how many times I've heard, you know, why would anybody smart enough to be president want to be right. And, and that's a big problem, you know, fundamentally when you, when you get back to the roots education, but I want to get back to something that I think you said in terms of, you know, seeing civics as not just taught in civics, not just taught in those U S history classes, but also weaving its way into all areas. And I think there's a really, you know, I mean, it's, Civics is so much about what's happening today, current issues, and watching our government function and work um, and different like moving parts. And I think as you start analyzing that in those ELA classes, and it can become that kind of common thread for people. I mean, I feel like social studies in itself lends itself as a discipline to being that thread throughout courses, but I agree with you. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to talk about those issues in class because 
you know, they are controversial. And if you don't have a solid base, maybe even an understanding or a good way to facilitate those conversations, you, you know, civics can also be the land of landmines for all sorts of different things. You know, you don't want to step on the wrong, the wrong, uh, the wrong twig, right? And all of a sudden, <laughs> you've got parent emails and all sorts of weird things. But we need to have a way to have those conversations with our kids. Um, in order to expect that they're going to go out and not only contribute, you know, passing that driver's test and, and being informed uh, decision makers, but also being, you know, active in their communities. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I mean, I think we can really see this right now as we're recording this. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. What scientists do have civic implications and policy implications. What mathematicians do in interpreting the curve, and we're talking all about flattening the curve, have civic implications. You know, I'm seeing in the state of Illinois right now, there's grants being given to artists in our community to sort of uh, lift our civic spirits during this crisis. That has civic implications. So no matter if you're a scientist, you are an artist, you are um, a mailman, you're a lawyer, you have civic responsibilities. Um, and it's really incumbent on all of us across the disciplines to really reinforce that civic mission that we all have in our schools. Um, and our mission to prepare kids not only for college career, but also for civic life. Um, Diana Hess and Paula McAvoy, who really are mentors of mine, who really do great work around using current and controversial issue discussions in the classroom, really talk about an essential question that really all of us have to answer through the curriculum is how should we live together? And I think if we can really recalibrate our why, why are we in the classroom? It isn't really about the what and the mandates, but it's about that why. Why are we teachers? Why are we educators? Inherently, I think we're trying to use all these disciplines to inform students about how we should live together and building that better future. So that in and it of itself has a civic mission component to it. I, I've, I, I, yes to everything you're saying there. And I, as I'm thinking about like all the things that are happening right now, like. I don't think we actually even realize that there's so much civics things happening right now, but like just walking, I took the dogs for a walk this afternoon and on like the bike paths in my community, there's all these like messages and chalk about, you know, stay home. And it's just kids being kids and kids like, you know, going outside and, you know, writing what they've heard all the time, but it, it truly does have a civics mission to it as well, which like, as I'm thinking about it from this lens, it's just, it's fantastic to see. Yeah, you know, another article, and I'll share these for you if you'd like to put them in the show notes, that really shaped my perspective for civics is um, something by Joe Kahn and Joel Westheimer called What Kind of Citizen? It's an oldie but goodie. And what Joe and Joel did is they sort of surveyed what civic education looks like in North America, both Canada and the United States, and basically put civic education into three buckets. And the first bucket they talk about is really um, was pretty prevalent in educational systems. And this was helping kids be personally responsible citizens. Things like character counts, pick up your garbage, recycle, bring in the obligatory can of sauerkraut to the holiday food drive, right? Like these are things that I can do to be personally responsible. So in, the, in you know, looking at today through the COVID-19 crisis, personally responsible citizen would be things like 
practicing social distancing, washing your hands, right? Like what are the things that I can do to be personally responsible in this time period? And then they talk about the next type of civic education is helping students be participatory citizens. These are kids that sort of get engaged in civil society. Perhaps they belong to clubs or organizations at the school, and they're the ones that organize the food drive. They're the ones that partner with the, the Kiwanis or the Loyal Order of Moose or the League of Women Voters in Society to sort of bring those civics, um, civil society organizations within the school. And these are the kids that are sort of the leaders and organizers. But they said the most rare sort of column that really is rich in education that we don't see a lot in schools is that last column. And this is what he, they called the justice-oriented citizen. And these are the kids that look at the issues in their community. And perhaps in the middle of the food drive, for example, because of the civic inquiry we're doing in our classes, because of these quality current and controversial issue discussions we're having, because we're teaching kids how to use questions and ask questions to power identity, justice, equity, and such, these are the students that perhaps in the middle of the food drive will say, why are people hungry in our community? And what can we do to address those root causes of hunger? Likewise, these are the kids that perhaps are using the journaling um, assignments that we're giving them during the COVID-19 crisis. Maybe we're having them use bell riggers and reflection slips to sort of touch base with them a little bit about what they're experiencing right now because they're living history. And perhaps that justice-oriented citizen will look back on this time period and look at maybe some of the root causes of this pandemic and what could we do better next time to meet the needs of students to maybe keep us all safe and maybe even improve you know the opportunities for distance learning or whatever that might be in the future so to kind of get back at like what kind of citizen i think there's different sort of levels of civic participation that we really can look at and as i share that i'm not saying that the food drive is bad right we've got to feed people while we look at the root causes of hunger likewise we've got to practice social distancing and reach out and help our neighbors and put those encouraging messages and sidewalk chalk on the pike path right to improve civil society but i think there's a space when we're done with this to reflect back and i think we teachers can have a role in that and to reflect back and say okay what can we do better next time and who can we share these insights with to change policy maybe at the school level maybe at the state level maybe at the city level and maybe even better prepare civil society organizations to respond to this crisis in the future. And that's not just a social studies thing. All of us can do that through our different disciplines. Yeah, that's, I was just thinking that when you were, when you were describing that about, wow, that would be a really interesting um, back to school focus for like, especially secondary schools. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure you probably can do something like that with the littles because they have lived through this too and their lives have been disrupted. They know that things are going on at whatever age appropriate level, but finding ways to talk about, okay, how was this data analyzed in math classes, in science, you know, how does a virus work and what does that mean in terms of the laws or the 
stay at home orders and this kind of things that government are imposing on people and how do people follow those or not follow those? What's the appropriate, I don't know if punishment or appropriate uh, ways of reacting if people are not following these guidelines. Um, and, right, and how that looks different depending on, you know, the different types of government that exist and, you know, right. is better suited for stopping a pandemic than the other ones. And, you know, I mean, the, all the ramifications that come with um, what's been going on in terms of the economic fallout and the shift in, you know, uh, well, I mean, the unemployment rate just going through the roof with, with all these people who rely on industries that have just been so heavily impacted, right? And then there's the stimulus that comes out. Well, how does that factor in? And what does that do to all these economic things that we've talked about? I mean, it's, it's just, it's so rich for, <laughs> from, from a social studies lens. It's just, it's, it's hard too, though, I think, you know, and I think specifically when we look at, you know, what's going on right now is, and we talked about this last week, so I don't want to get too far into it, but again, being cognizant of the students in your room and you know knowing i love what the state of california is using in terms of holding students harmless during this time um and because you never know what's going on who's sick and who's healthcare workers and who's you know has access to a computer who has a space to have a video call i mean it's just it's it's, it's really unprecedented but i love those ideas in terms of journaling and living history um, and things that you've been talking about yeah, and I mean, just to add on that a little bit, you know, when I do PD and when I was doing PD even before the pandemic, you know, I would ask teachers, why teach civics? And we would make a word cloud using something like pull everywhere, why teach civics? And rarely, I would say never, was there an answer of to memorize the preamble, to pass a constitution test. I mean, that never was in the word cloud. Things like empathy, res responsibility, agency, informed action, you know, um, civic virtues. Some of these are the things that were in the word cloud. And I really think we need to get reconnected to that why we teach civics. And the reason why that What Kind of Citizen article really resonated with me as a teacher is... Um, Another analogy I've used in my workshops, so Chris, you could be like, oh, I've heard this already. Um, but I'll amen it for you. Okay, great. <laughs> I preach it. That's great. But, you know, for years as a teacher, I think I did a pretty good job with essential questions, bringing the past into the present. I don't just teach civics. I, I'm kind of the cleanup hitter in my school. I teach civics and whatever else is there, whether it be economics, world history, U.S. history, sociology, you name it. You know, I would use these great essential questions to bring the past into the present, help kids sort of take the, therm you know, temperature of the past into the present, be a thermometer, you know, look at things like women's rights in the past. Okay, let's take the temperature. Let's go into the present. Is there still injustice today? Yes. Er, you know, take the temperature. There's injustice. You know, look at things in geography about the allocation of resources, the, the legacy of colonialism and such, past to present, oh, the injustice, right? Um, kids in West Chicago sound like pirates when they hear injustice, Arr, you know. Um, you know, whatever the topic might be, you know, we, we take the temperature, we have these great essential questions and we get the kids emotionally engaged. And then I'm just gonna speak for myself, I would then give a multiple choice test and move on. And I realized that really what I was doing with my students, I was, I was creating a cohort of cynics that were really good at 
taking the temperature, being thermometers, and pointing out the problems in society. But I really wasn't giving them any agency to be the change in the world, right, to quote Gandhi. So I think when I think about that what kind of citizen, and I think about that justice-oriented citizen, and I even think about the C3 framework with informed action, or specific to my work, the proven practices of civic education, which talk about service learning, we got to take our kids beyond just being thermometers that take the temperature and help them become thermostats that can change the temperature. And that's not something that they're able to do once they turn 18 and get the right to vote. That's something that the littles can do right now. Kindergartners can do that right now. And I have examples of kindergartners that have done that. You know, eighth grade kids in your geography class can do that right now. High school students in an online world history class can do that right now. There's opportunities for them to be those thermostats that change the temperature. And I think if we just sort of unpack all of the challenges of COVID-19 or bullying in our schools or a living wage, whatever the current and controversial issue topic is, and all we do is unpack those issues and have the discussion and the deliberation in class, but we don't give them the opportunity to be the agent of change and look at what that might look like, we're doing them a disservice. We're not helping them get behind the wheel and practice driving. I think I'm, I, I now supposed to like, say amen, preach it. I, I, no, sorry, yes, amen and everything else there. Um, no, I think I want to, I want to kind of like get a t-shirt that has your, your thermometer and thermostat quote on there. So I'll have to go back and listen to our episode again. So I know exactly what you said and how to put it on my t-shirt there. Um, so I guess the, probably the best question that we need to still ask you is how do we get started? Like, what do we do first? Whether it's, you know, like you said, kindergartners or seniors in high school, like what are the next steps that we should be doing with our students, regardless of what content we're teaching, regardless of what subject area we're even teaching? Like, how do we, how do we take some of these ideas and, and move forward? Well, I think first off, I think something, an idea that I'm sort of noodling in my head right now, so it's not a fully, fully formed idea, but this is a conversation, right? Maybe you guys can help me figure it out. But I think it starts really with us as teachers um, and doing some of this hard work ourselves. And I, I call it sort of teaching civics from the inside out and really kind of recalibrating ourselves. Why do we teach? And what is the civic mission of our, our practice? And that's not just for us as social studies teachers, but why are we really here? Like, you know, again, um, how should we live together? And how is my curriculum contributing to kids answering that question? So I think part of the work begins with us and sort of getting reconnected with our why. Um, there's a great little video that I'll share with you all from um, a comedian named Michael Jr. that's called Know Your Why. It's a great little three minute video that I show to teachers that really is a great way to really talk about how our why is what makes our what sing and really what makes our what gives context to what we do. So um, I think that's one of the first things is we have to do some of this work ourselves. And I think another part of teaching civics from the inside out is also to explore some of our own implicit biases that might shape our, you know, our perception of the world and even shape our perception of our students and what they're capable of. 
Um, and so I think that's important because those are important things to connect kids to as well. So I think part of it is sort of recalibrating ourselves. I think another, I think an initial step before you teach civics in any classroom is to create an ecosystem or a climate for this to happen in. I'm trying to use as many geography references as possible for you, Heffernan. <laughs> thank okay. you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Appreciate yeah. It. So if you're going to have kids do some of these proven practices like current and controversial issue discussions or a simulation of a democratic process or something like service learning, that just doesn't happen. You've got to create an environment for that to happen. And I would have people maybe listen to a previous episode with Laura Tavares from Facing History and Ourselves, where she talks a little bit more about how do you create that climate or environment. Yes, I listened to previous episodes, folks, okay? <laughs> I did my homework. Um, but to create that environment where kids have some ownership of what's going on with these civic conversations, and you create a climate for that to happen. And I think also as teachers, we have to embrace sort of the lived experiences that kids bring into the classroom as well to harness civics in our classroom. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when I work with teachers, they will say that, well, students can't have a conversation about that because they don't, they don't know enough. They can't do this simulation because they don't know enough about the simulation. And there's been a lot of talk about the knowledge gap. I think Natalie Wexler talks a lot about the knowledge gap that a lot of us are wrestling with right now with a lot of our students, especially our students perhaps of color or students that perhaps are immigrants, English language learners and such. But I think we as teachers have to look at those students as assets in our classroom. I know they were assets in my classroom and all students bring certain lived experiences that could really enhance the experience of everybody in the classroom. For example, at West Chicago, over 50% of my students are Latinx. Many of them are English language learners. Many of them are immigrants to the United States. They have experiences and perspectives of institutions of power like immigration that I do not have as a Caucasian white woman who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. That's an asset to my classroom. That's something that I need to leverage in my classroom, not exploit, but make space for and room for and use as we have these civic conversations, right? So I think that's part of creating that environment as well. And there's a great report by Joe Kahn, Jesse Marshall, and Kathy Cohen, you might know her from Castle, about um, using the live civics approach in our classroom that I'll share with you all. So, you know, starting with ourselves and why we're doing this and then creating a climate where kids can do this. And then I think the next thing is to really sort of curate your curriculum around essential questions that lead to informed action. So to really think again about that why and what's the big question that kids can really investigate and do inquiry into, whether that's in geography and U.S. history and sociology, whatever it is, and that great essential question, if you have a really good essential question, it'll resonate with kids, it will give context to your content and make it more sticky, and it will lead to informed action. So I think those are just a few things that teachers can really think about and start this process with, is to think about, think those things through. Well, I you know, know that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, I think that, you know, the informed action 
for, or sorry, the essential questions, getting students to, to get to that informed action, I think is really important. And I think then getting them to develop their own essential questions and have some student agency over those topics, right? And I'm just thinking for people out there, like some easy things that I've seen um, recently, actually, that you can do, like KQED has a Let's Talk um, about the election 2020, where students can kind of publish different types of media um, responding just in, in a forum um, that gives them you know, a slightly larger audience in their classrooms. I've seen C-SPAN does, uh, I forget what it was called, but C-SPAN just did something, it's over now, the student cam contest, but these things come around, you know, the New York Times has done stuff. Um, there's all sorts of very easy um, platforms for students to start publishing and start reaching out a little bit broader. Um, I'd love to see, you know, really taking some action, but I think those pieces of media in terms of the communication and again bringing in those unique perspectives that they have from their lenses and their experiences that they've lived or the people that they that they know um, and how those uh, those get communicated to support their issues. Yeah, Chris, were you going to say something? I um, I was going to say, I, I, you made me think of two things. One, I think all of us probably in our education training uh, in college had to write the, our philosophy of education papers probably more than once. Um, and when you were talking about thinking about your why, it made me think of that and how I felt like I had to do that every semester, but every semester it changed. The more I, you know, got experiences in classrooms and things like that, that, you know, you add to that, you revise it. But I think that's probably a good thing for us to revisit periodically, whether we're writing it out, but, you know, it, at least thinking about it and getting back to that why. And then the other part that really spoke to me was the informed action piece and the, you know, not just giving students a test and then they forget and move on. I, I'm having an eighth grader in the house right now who's actually sitting right by me, you know, frequently says, I'm just going to learn this well enough so I can pass the test and then move on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, I don't think any of us got into education to help students pass multiple choice tests and move on. We got into it to help them become active, engaged, informed citizens. And we have this testing stuff kind of forced upon us, but that shouldn't be our end all and be all. And that's another part of civics engagement, I think, for teachers. <laughs> that's going on my next chart right there, Chris. So uh, now, now I've got two for the uh, Talk and Social Studies podcast uh, store, mm -hmm. apparently. <laughs> well, Chris, have, uh, Chris, I hope you're sitting down for this. I'll share this, but I wrote an article for Social Ed a couple of years ago that was called Thermometers to th um, Thermostats, um, Designing and Assessing Informed Action. And in there, I kind of talk about the action is the assessment. And a little bit of the work that I'm doing right now with civics in Illinois is to really help teachers think about this new kind of civics and what a performance assessment in civics could look like, feel like, sound like. And I've been working with Beth Ratway from the American Institutes on Research to create an open portal. Um, we're gonna be creating an open source portal for teachers across the nation to look at, to kind of look at what really great performance assessment in civics that go beyond assessments as an autopsy of learning, right? 
the postmortem, but an assessment that really enhances the learning process and informs both teachers, students, and other stakeholders um, with a realistic performance assessment or demonstration of learning. Um, and if I could, Scott, go back to something that you were talking about with the informed action piece, you know, I think we need to think about what are really sort of the informed actions we expect our kids to take to become civically engaged in the future. I think not a lot of them are going to be organizing boycotts. Some might, but probably not a lot of them. But a lot of them probably do need to know how to do research, perhaps, um, that they can then share to, with decision makers, whether that be through surveying their peers or doing something more in depth with various sources. Um, I think I want my, you know, my, my students to be able to um, even, you know, take action in civil society to improve, you know, the world around them through various organizations and such. So a lot of times, you know, teachers, when they hear informed action, they're like, oh, how am I going to get the field trip budget for the bus? Where am I going to find the dirty park? Where do I get all the garbage bags and the sticks for them to pick up the yucky stuff? And it's like, no, that's court ordered community service. And that's not what we're talking about here, right? Like informed action are real world ways that kids can take action on what they're learning in your class. And that could be direct action. I mean, Chris, if they're learning about you know, the environment in your geography class and pollution and um, the effects of global warming or whatever it may be, and the kids decide they want to take direct action and do a park cleanup, that's great. But the action is informed by the curriculum. Except, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, maybe it's, you know, in COVID-19, you know, in this current pandemic, they're taking, a, you know, they're journaling. Maybe they survey the people around them in their household, people in their community about their needs and, and, and wants. And that research is handed over to local officials to do better now or maybe in the future. Handing that authentic research over to decision makers can be informed action. You know, raising awareness, advocacy through social media can be informed action. So I think whether it's through distance learning or face-to-face -face in our classrooms, there are meaningful informed actions that our kids can take that are really relevant to their experiences. And they don't involve garbage bags, a field trip budget. Um, and they don't have to be this big thing. What is really the realistic behind the wheel experience for our kids to prepare them for civic life? Let's help them do that. I think that's really important for people to hear, right? And making sure they don't think of that big, big component to it. In fact, what you were just talking about really is an effective social marketing campaign. And we've seen that can actually be one of the biggest influencers in, you know, election, public opinions, decisions, all sorts of things. And that's all stuff that kids can really do <laughs> remotely, right? From, from where they are. Um, but I also want to point out, you know, your reference to information and, and again, the informed part of that informed action. And I haven't plugged them yet today, but I just want to, you know, if you're looking for some civic online reasoning um, stuff, Shag has some amazing resources out there um, that are applicable for teaching students those literacy skills, those media literacy skills as they kind of synthesize the information because we're just bombarded with it, you know, as we sit behind these screens. And it's such an important first step and really 
um, you know, just, just being informed. And I, I kept going back, um, Mary Ellen, trying to look. I'm like, oh, man, I want to go back to that list. I want to listen back. I forgot the three, um, the, the three, three steps you talked about earlier. I didn't write them down. And it in, in so. Yeah, and I mean, I'll share it in the thing, but I think when I do news literacy workshops with teachers, I do refer back to that what kind of citizen paradigm for news literacy. You know, the first category, you got your pencil ready, Scott? Yeah. Is the personally responsible citizen. And if you, make, if you make an allegory to the personally responsible citizen with news literacy, that's teaching kids how to consume information wisely for themselves, right? So that's shag online learning, the online reasoning skills, um, online civic reasoning, that's what it's called. Um, that's the news literacy project resources, you know, know your neighborhood, know your zone. Um, museum has great resources. As a matter of fact, I wrote a blog sharing all of these things um, news literacy resources um, that I'll share with you guys in the show notes last week. Um, and then the second column, if you remember, is the participatory citizen. And that's the, the citizen that gets involved in citizen um, civil society and with others. And I think that's how we teach kids to engage with information if you make the news literacy allegory. So the first is making them wise consumers and then wise engagers, you know, teaching them things about horizontal reading, how they can verify sources, maybe use things like Snopes or fact check to engage with that information. Some people like the crap test, whatever you would like. Um, and then the final category, that justice-oriented citizen, I think that's helping kids be wise producers of information. So helping them learn, when do I retweet this? Or when should I reshare things? Or maybe when do I push back and challenge people? Like, can you verify your sources there? So I think when I think about those three columns of what kind of citizen, Scott, I'm picking up what you're laying down. There's allegories to news literacy as well. Man. And that's civic, that's civic participation as well. This has been just absolutely fantastic. So. Mary Ellen, if people want to, you know, reach out to you, where's, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you? You mean it's almost over? Oh my gosh. Okay. It, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to like go with the like subtle conclusion. Can here, I come but, back? Uh, I have so much more. About a year okay. ago, we decided we talked too much and we were trying to cut back. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, so our website is illinoiscivics.org. So you can check out IllinoisCivics.org. We're building out all sorts of resources to help teachers, especially six through 12, with civic learning, especially through the proven practices of civic education. You can also find me on Twitter, at Daniels underscore M, D-A-N as in Nancy, E-E-L-S underscore M. Um, and something else I'm working on right now is um, a micro-credentialing project to empower teachers to be successful with the proven practices of civic education. And it's called the Guardians of Democracy Project. And you can look that up at guardiansofdemocracyteachers.org. And this is a free micro-credentialing platform that teachers around the country can sign up for if they would like to learn more about current and controversial issue discussions in the classroom, simulations of democratic processes, or what we've been talking a lot about today, informed action through service learning. So this is a free resource that teachers um, can use across the country to really build their skills up. And it really has um, timely lesson plans, instructional videos, academic expert 
um, interviews with people like Diana Hess, Paula McAvoy, Walter Parker, Kay Kawashimik Ginsburg, Jesse Marshall, Joe Kahn, and others to really support teachers in this work. Awesome. Sounds great. We will make sure we get all those um, resources into our show notes so that way um, everybody who's listening can actually go back and find them all. Um, this has been absolutely fantastic. I, I cannot say thank you enough times or enough amens for you or any other uh, any other way to, to show the admiration and praise that we have for you. Raise the roofs. There you well, go. You guys know I'm very, I'm huge fans of yours. And, um, you know, my biggest talent is recognizing people that are doing great things. And that's the, you guys as well. Um, and so I really am honored to have this conversation with you. And I hope it's just the beginning of uh, our collaboration to support teachers and students in civic life. Excellent. Well, thank you, thank so much. you so much. Thank and you. Topic for next time, but um, I guess until next time, we'll see you guys later. Stay isolated and safe. <laughs>